And welcome to the WBEV Orthopedic Radio Show. The following is a paid program. The views and opinions expressed are solely that of SSM Health, Dean Medical Group, and Fond du Lac Regional Clinic Orthopedics, not WBEV, ESPN, nor Good Karma Brands. And joining us today, when instead he could be eating sushi, steak, or anything during his lunchtime, is Dr. Bert Callahan. Wow, thank you, Tom. I didn't know that was an option. That sounds pretty good. Well, I, I well, you got freedom. You got freedom yeah, of yeah, choice. Yeah. <laughs> and speaking of freedom of choice, I think starting off today, one of the joints that we probably take for granted but gives us the most freedom of range of movement has to be the shoulder. You are correct, and that's uh, that that great range of motion in the shoulder is both a blessing and uh, puts it at risk of injury. And it's the, it is the most common joint in the body that's injured. So, what what type of a joint is the shoulder? Well, the shoulder is um, it's different than the rest of the joints in that the the platform, the socket part of it, is movable. So the shoulder. Uh, is the the shoulder blade and then the humerus meeting with the collarbone in there is the third bone, and so it's not a the shoulder blade is not fixed to the trunk. It it moves also, so both sides of the joint are moving, and so it it has a tremendous range of motion, but it's at the expense of stability, and so that's oh. one of the issues that can occur. Uh, with the shoulder, I mean, for example, the hip has has a fairly large range of motion, but it's a very deep socket, and so it's it's very stable. It takes a lot of force to have a to knock that out of joint, and it doesn't have instability issues. So while the hip joint could be like a crane that would be maybe fixated on some concrete or solid ground, um, the shoulder is kind of like a like a sea operating crane. It's, a, it's maybe on yeah. a boat. It's, it's less stable. It's, it's bouncing around a little bit. Right, right. Okay. Good good analogy. But that, yeah, that's uh, – yeah, and then so that has its unique set of problems and that uh, to the shoulder. But it allows us to, to throw a softball or a baseball or do all sorts of, of amazing things using the shoulder blade. Right, right, for sure. And, and the, it's, it's function really for most of us that are not – using it for an athletic purpose is combined with the elbow is to put the hand where we need it so you you know because that's how we if you think of how you do things throughout the day the shoulder and the elbow are really just putting your hand where you need it whether it's above your head or behind your back or out away from your body and all that puts unique stresses across the shoulder well and most jobs are probably going to require um, positioning your hands to do something so you're going to be using your shoulder in pretty much any job out there even if it's simply typing absolutely Which, I mean, really puts the shoulder at a unique disadvantage of being a joint that can be overused for pretty much every activity we depend on. Correct. And then you roll into there the the changes that occur in the shoulder with aging, and it's just kind of that perfect storm that um, it's very, very prone to... to problems and the problems are different depending on the age the the shoulder problems of an 18 year old are not those of a 60 year old they they are different so when we talk about the rotator cuff is, is that what the name is for those three the blade the collarbone and the rest of the the ligaments together so the rotator cuff refers to the muscles that are attached to those things so there are four muscles that that are attached they start on the shoulder blade which the shoulder blade itself has 17 different muscles that attach to it that help control its motion, which is pretty incredible in itself. But the rotator cuff, and that's C-U-F-F, not C-U-P, just for you know semantics purposes, but it's those four muscles that are really critical to the function of the shoulder. 
So rotator cuff injuries then would be one of those four muscles. Correct. Either either being pulled apart or what 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 exactly would be the injury associated with the rotator cuff? So it's it's a spectrum and on the far end would be the the tendon detaches from the humerus. So the 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 muscle starts on the shoulder blade, the scapula, and then that's where the red part of the muscle is and it goes and attaches to the top of the arm bone which is the humerus and it kind of turns into a tendon at that point and on the extreme end is that tears Uh, but you can get a lot of pain from the shoulder and from the rotator cuff before you get a tear the tendon gets inflamed it may have a partial tear things you can have problems with it before you get to tear Mm. as well so are all shoulder injuries then due to the rotator cuff? No. The vast majority of, and certainly of the patients that I see, which tends to be an older population, are, are related to the rotator cuff. Okay. Younger patients or patients that have had a, patients under 30, it's, it's typically not the rotator cuff. That's more of a, it's either an athletic type injury, some type of trauma, a dislocation of the shoulder. Some people have a either... Um, from a, a, a sporting injury or a fall, once the shoulder is knocked out of joint, mm. it stretches the tissue out and, and the shoulder is prone to that happening again. So that's a different problem than the rotator cuff problem. So what would be some of the symptoms that would be indicative of a rotator cuff injury, but not necessarily like a dislocation or something right. else? So the, the first one is pain, okay. and pain that's very commonly in the arm. So between the shoulder and the elbow, that's where people hurt. When people come in and say, oh, my, you know, my arm is killing me, and they put their opposite hand on the mid part of their arm, that's where people typically hurt as opposed to up on the top of the shoulder. Yeah, and that's just oh. the way we're wired. It's I, I tell patients sometimes people that have a heart attack often have left arm pain, and the problem is not in the left arm. It's in right. the heart. So when people are hurting down even towards the elbow, it's usually that's not where the problem is. The problem is up at the top, but the, where we feel the pain often is in the mid part of the arm. Why, 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 why is that exactly? That's so peculiar. It, it, it is peculiar. It's just the way we're wired. Huh. Um, I, I believe it likely is related to the muscle that gives our shoulder its shape is the deltoid muscle. That's a big muscle on the, the covering everything else, and it attaches in the mid arm. Oh. And so the space underneath the deltoid and on top of the rotator cuff kind of continues down to the mid portion of the arm. And so when that area gets inflamed, I think you feel it through the whole area. We're speaking with Dr. Bert Callahan, SSM Health, Dean Medical Group, and Fond du Lac Regional Clinic Orthopedics, talking about shoulder and rotator cuff injuries. And let's continue from there, because what segment of the population are most likely to get rotator cuff injuries? Well, it's definitely an age-related problem. Okay. I mean, it's the over 40 patient. So every decade past 40, 40, 50, 60, it's more and more common. And years ago, probably in the 70s, a a study was done, a cadaver study. So after people died, people looked at the rotator cuff and 30% of people died with a rotator cuff tear. So it's a very, very common thing to occur just with aging alone. And, and that actually was described 120 years ago by a early orthopedic surgeon named Codman that there was an area in the rotator cuff that just was prone the way the blood flow was to just wearing out over time and, and then tearing. 
So, I mean, just that one example of investigating cadavers in the 1970s, it shows that a lot of a lot of people probably lived through life with rotator cuff injuries and there was no way to treat them. So how are they treated today then? Well, it it varies. The initial treatment, um, and it's a, it's a spectrum because people can have terrible pain and not have a rotator cuff tear, have more of an inflammation or partial tear. And then you have people who function really well and have a rotator cuff tear. So it's, it's a little bit of a moving target. But the initial treatment uh, for virtually everyone is to get into physical therapy and do some very specific exercises to recover motion and recover strength. That's interesting. So so it, it typ- do you need to typically have an operation done to repair a rotator cuff injury? Not always, Not no. Always. And it's, it's one of the areas of orthopedics that is very counterintuitive. And when I tell people, yeah, you have a tear, but I'm going to send you to therapy where you need to exercise. Right. It, it's, I, I realize that. And, and most in, in orthopedics, I feel like most things, most treatments should be understandable and they should be intuitively obvious to regardless of your level of Education. I should be able to explain that, and that should make sense. However, there are areas where it's not intuitive, and this is one of them. And and I just it is, I just know that from experience, there are a lot of people with rotator cuff problems, whether it's a tear or inflammation, who their problem is solved with physical therapy. So, because this is so counterintuitive, my mind is a little blown right now. Can can you explain a little bit why why is it that exercise and movement and I mean, proper exercise and physical therapy. How is that repairing a tear? Well, it's it's different. It's not necessarily repairing the tear. It's making the symptoms go away. So, and those are not the same. They no. seem like they should be, but one is that it, the often when the shoulder gets sore, the stiffness starts to come into the shoulder, yes. and it gets and so recovery of that motion often is helpful, and then strengthening all of the other muscles around where the one is torn can often compensate enough that that the symptoms go away and your function recovers but then you're 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 basically shifting which primary muscle group you're using to to hold the shoulder in place then well it's not necessarily holding it place but just to do perform the functions that we need of the shoulder okay and the if the function recovers if the patient's pain goes away and their function their motion is back to normal and they can do everything they need to do then it doesn't really matter if the rotator cuff has a small tear and so you know what i'm saying so if somebody is say is and especially as the older a patient gets the more that's applicable so if i have somebody who's 70 who does have a tear, but they do some physical therapy and they come in and say, you know, my shoulder feels fine now. I can do what I need to do. My strength is okay. My motion is good. I can't really make them better than that with an operation. Hmm. And so in that case, the an operation, you know, we always have to look at what's what's going to be the gain. What's, what's the functional gain? Because it's not no fun to go through a shoulder operation, a rotator cuff operation. Yes. So, but a lot of people go through that and they don't get better. So, you know, you kind of select out the, the few that, that do get better, and they don't they get to avoid an operation. And then the ones that don't, then, then you move down the line of treatment. So I've heard that sometimes a steroid injection uh, usually accompanies some sort of uh, treatment to the rotator cuff. Uh, is, is that always given during a physical therapy? Is that decided on by the patient? Is that a decision that's made in collaboration with, with someone like you? 
Yes, the, the steroid injection or cortisone injection, as it's often referred to, is is has a place. It's not – there are some positives and negatives about that. But it, it – um, it is very helpful. It is something that the orthopedist administers, um, or the the physician the assistants that I work with are, <coughs> excuse me, very capable of, of doing it as well. And it's very helpful for reducing pain. And and I think especially people that are having a lot of pain in the shoulder, if I'm sending them to therapy, if they're really hurting, it's hard to get much gain with therapy because it's too painful. Mm. And so the steroid injection is a way to reduce the pain so they can get more benefit from the therapy. And sometimes it's it's a home run. You do that, it calms things down. They they kind of get their strength and motion and back and their coordination of the shoulder movements, and their pain goes away. And then that's great because then they avoid moving down the line. They may avoid having a, a shoulder operation. The, the downside is that in people that do end up with a rotator cuff repair, if they have a tear and need it repaired, repair has a higher failure rate if they've had several steroid injections prior to surgery. Why is that? Just the effect of the of the steroid on the tendon. Hmm. That it just that's what the data shows. And so we kinda have to balance that and use that a little judiciously. Um, but but it's it's a very easy thing to do if you can do it and, and avoid an operation, then I think that's a win. Uh, but it is uh, something we evaluate and talk over with the patient on on what the role of it is. Well, it is a careful balancing act because you want to treat the pain that you have now. But if the issue is going to be getting worse, then maybe it's better to delay the steroid injection and then get the full um, operation done to repair that tear. Right. That's it. That is if a complete tear is present so that's that's the other piece of it is the if it's a partial tear then that statistic doesn't necessarily apply because you, you may not have to operate on it if you make the pain go away so how are you identifying then if something is a partial tear or a full tear well ultimately the the best way to do that is with mri and but the mri by itself comes its role comes when you're getting to the point of talking about an operation so Early on, we will often do PT, do the steroid injection, and not do the MRI at that point because it, if they get better with the PT or the steroid injection or both, then they don't need the MRI because it doesn't it doesn't add anything to the treatment. But but it's a role. I, I don't like to operate on anybody that I haven't done the MRI because I want to be fully prepared on what we're gonna what we're gonna see, and so um, I can prepare the patient for what what we're gonna do and what the recovery is gonna be like. We well, want as much data as possible before you make an invasive decision. Right. Um, and speaking of uh, the more invasive decisions, such as uh, a surgery, repairing, let's say, a complete tear on a shoulder, what does that uh, period look like, both in preparation, the surgery itself, and being discharged from the hospital? Right. The, the rotator cuff repair operation is a day surgery, so it's oh. done mostly arthroscopically, so there's small incisions. And um, so the patient goes home, comes in, and go, has, has the operation and goes home the same day. Um, and then there's a period of rehabilitation, and that varies somewhat depending on if the rotator cuff needed repaired or usually in addition in that kind of setting, we there are bone spurs to take off that are contributing to the problem, so we'll do, do that. Um, sometimes the, also involved is the biceps tendon, which is comes up the front of the arm into the shoulder, and it is not considered a part of the rotator cuff, but it is adjacent to and complementary to the rotator cuff 
and often it's a problem also. So a slight segue, but uh, since I, I got my love of westerns from my father, how is a what, what exactly is a bone spur? It's it's not like a cowboy's spur. What exactly is it? <laughs> so the it's a bone <coughs> spur is something that the bone uh, kind of forms a little growth usually in the setting of arthritis. In the shoulder, it's often just chronic inflammation, but it can be, um, in the shoulder, in this setting, it can be irritating to the cuff. And so we're often removing them to, um, at the end of the collarbone where it meets the shoulder blade and underneath the shoulder blade above the rotator cuff. It Hmm. opens the space up where the rotator cuff moves as you move through a range of motion. So that extra space is detrimental then to the rotator cuff or the function of it. Right, because the bone spurs typically come down off underneath the the front of the shoulder or on the underneath side of of the end of the collarbone. And that's right where the rotator cuff, as you raise your arm, it's passing underneath that area. So it's kind of it's where one of the terms that's used is shoulder impingement, is the kind of the catch-all phrase we use for rotator yeah. cuff problems and and shoulder problems. Okay, we're speaking with Dr. Bert Callahan from the. Uh well, I had I had my sheets in front of me. Here we are from SSM Health, the Dean Medical Group, and the Fond du Lac Regional Clinic Orthopedics. So, I mean, of course, one reason why people always delay surgery is because it interferes with their life and almost more importantly with the work that they do. So if somebody's working in a job where they have to lift up a 40-pound box and lift it overhead, uh, how much time would they, in that example, need to take off from work in order to allow that rotator cuff to fully heal? Yeah, that's a that's a, a great question, very applicable to the to the our practice. And so I would say between six and twelve weeks are probably for that type of activity. And it it would vary according to what if there's any lighter work they can do, or if they can avoid above shoulder work for a while. Um, and then if they they have a rotator cuff repair, that will be more on the twelve week time frame versus the six week. Because once you repair the rotator cuff, you have to allow that to heal for six weeks. So you don't do any type of strengthening for six weeks because you want that bone and tendon to mend back together. And then you have to, at that point, then you're six weeks in, and then you have to start doing some strengthening. And you're kind of starting from square one. And if you think of the with lifting activities, the farther the hand is away from the body, the more strain on the rotator cuff. So you need more strength to the further away that the further you're away something. yeah so people even uh, when they have a rotator cuff tear can still lift a 40 pound bag of salt for their water softener but can't hardly get a you know a cup of coffee off the counter oh. because it's it just requires much more rotator cuff strength at, at a distance and one of those muscles uh, certainly used for lifting and one of Ryan Gable's favorite muscles is the bicep. Where exactly does the bicep connect to the shoulder? What is that relationship like? So the biceps is in front. You know, if you stand in front of the mirror with your arms, your elbows flex 90 degrees and your palms up, you see your, your biceps in front. Oh, that, yeah. That lar- yeah. <laughs> you probably see it more than, than, than I do or most people, but the... Um, that large muscle, as it goes up into the shoulder, turns into a tendon that really is surprisingly small considering how big the, the main part of the muscle is. It's about the size of a pencil, sometimes a little bit bigger. Um, it comes right up the front of the shoulder and then kind of dives into the shoulder joint and attaches to the top of the socket mm. into what's called the labrum. And so you may hear um, in athletics, people have labral tears. Um, 
when when Brett Favre left the Packers to go to the Vikings, he had his shoulder operated on. That's what his, that's what his problem was, and so he had that. At least as far as I know, the medical information through the news, but. That's not that's not a HIPAA well, violation. I, I did not treat Brett Favre. Traumatic so. Green Bay flashbacks. Yeah, no. right. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, but the um, so that's it's very it's it helps to compensate for the rotator cuff. So if the rotator cuff has a problem, the biceps helps compensate for that. And so often when we're operating on a shoulder with a rotator cuff problem, the biceps also has a problem. Mm-hmm. And so. It is also separately when in younger athletic people, the biceps and the labrum are often a problem in people who throw. And that's a little bit of a different setting than what we're talking about with the rotator cuff. But that's where people may hear about the biceps and the labrum. Fascinating. Well, I mean, we, we, we kind of touched on that, uh, the issue of, of when we mentioned bone spurs about arthritis in the shoulder. And I'm sure that that could be another show entirely. Yes. So why don't we put a pin in that? And then next time, maybe you can order some lunch so you don't have to rush next time you have to go <laughs> to the hospital. Uh, we've been speaking with Dr. Bert Callahan from SSM Health Dean Medical Group and Fond du Lac Regional Clinic. Doc, if anyone is um, maybe experiencing some pain, they're over 40, they're in that demographic that probably has some sort of maybe minor tear to the rotator cuff, how can they reach out and maybe schedule an appointment? Yes, we're, we're our, the best number is 324-6802, and that coordinates our appointments in Waupon, also in the Beaver Dam Clinic, the SSM Clinic in Beaver Dam. Luke Lencher is a PA I work with who's very experienced. That He's there four days a week. I'm there one day a week. And it's also helpful for patients to check their in, insurance provider just to be make sure we are in their plan. Uh, we are we are in most plans that are in this area, not just the Dean Health Plan. We're in, in the full spectrum of, of insurance plans. But um, there are it's always good to check that. And that's nine two zero three two four sixty eight zero two. Correct. Excellent. Well Doc, anything else you want to mention about the rotator cuff or anything we've talked about today? Well, it just goes back to, I think, the best preventative measure is to, like we've, on, on many topics and many orthopedic problems, is to exercise. Do shoulder strengthening exercises. Nowadays, you can, you can YouTube any of those things to, to do some strengthening. That's the best way to, you know, we're all fighting that, that aging battle of, you know, our bodies are not getting better. But the best way to preserve it as long as possible is, is strengthening and conditioning. Dr. Bert Callahan, we always appreciate the time, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you. The following was a paid program, the views and opinions expressed solely that of SSM Health, Dean Medical Group, and Fond du Lac Regional Clinic Orthopedics, not WBEV, ESPN, nor Good Karma Brands.